read eight verses out of the book of Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 28, and then we're going to pray. The Apostle Paul said, and I am reading from the Christian Standard Bible Translation. The Apostle Paul said this, For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing. Say one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. I want to speak to you this morning for a few moments uh, on several one things that I want to share with you from the Word today. And you may say, well, that's an oxymoron. But the Lord spoke this to me, and uh, I believe it's going to speak to you today. So if you will, one more time, pray with me and for me. Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for your awesome presence already in this house today. God, there's nothing I can say or do to add or take away from your Word today. So God, don't let me hinder it. Let me deliver it, not with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but in the demonstration of your Spirit and with power. Let your word go forth in love today. Let it do good works in our minds and in our hearts today through Christ Jesus. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for what you're going to do in advance. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a great big hand clap of praise as you're being seated this morning. And I do want to say it's great to have Cheryl back with us this morning from, uh, well, and and Brad, Brad went with her, and Jeff, now Robbie was here one of the Sundays they were gone, but she was two weeks uh, teaching and speaking at uh, uh, Lake Ann Camp in Michigan, and how many? 88 students received Christ. Somebody give the Lord some praise for that. And we're just thankful for Cheryl, and that because of her, we get to be a small part of that, because we prayed for her, and blessed her, and, and, uh, and we appreciate the work that she's doing, so we're thankful to see them back this morning. Uh, the one particular church problem in this passage of Scripture that we read, the one particular church problem that the Philippians faced was the threat of disunity. And Paul urges them to do just one thing. Say one thing. And that is to live their lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he proceeds to define for them exactly what that means. When every individual member of the body lives their life worthy of the gospel of Christ, he tells them that whether he is there or not, that they will be found standing firm, united in one spirit, as one man, in their battle of the faith or in their battle for truth of the gospel. And this united front that it forms will enable them to resist the influence of those who oppose them and to faithfully preserve the true faith of Christ. Their faithful, united preservation of the truth will prove, Paul says, to be their salvation 
And it will signal the opposer's destruction in God's judgment. So here in this passage of scripture, we find the church at Philippi battling for the one thing that is the greatest asset to any church, and that is unity. When the whole church comes together as one, because the enemy knows that the greatest threat to his kingdom and the greatest advancement to the kingdom of God is when God's people put all of their personal preferences and personal agendas aside and they come together with one common purpose in a spirit of unity. Powerful things happen when we are united. The Word of God will prove that out. I ask you to consider with me the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all, say all, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all, say all, all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And that day that we just read about was the birth of the early church as we know it. That was Acts chapter 2 when the church was born. And then in Acts chapter 16, Paul and some of his ministry friends were preaching the gospel in a city where no church had yet been established. This was the city of Philippi. There was a lady there whose name was Lydia. And she was originally, the Bible said, from the city of Thyatira. And she was uh, dwelling in Philippi. And the Bible said that as she was sitting there in that meeting where Paul and his minister friends were ministering, that she listened and she responded. And so from that day, she became known as a worshiper of God among the people. And before long, her whole household believed and was baptized, the Bible said. Because baptism is the second step in your work of grace. First we receive Christ, we believe upon Him, then we are baptized. And so her whole house eventually believed and was saved. So then Lydia's house became the site for this first church in the city of Philippi. With her as its host, and I know this may rattle some cages this morning, but also even perhaps its leader, because the Bible doesn't give any other leader mentioned as this church at Philippi is established besides Lydia. And so we read that this Philippian church began to grow. And as they grew, great things took place there. The Bible records this as the church where Paul and his followers were when they exercised a demon from a fortune-telling slave girl. And Paul and Silas were imprisoned as a result of that event. And this was the same church that also united in prayer for Paul and Silas when they were put in prison. This was the church that was praying behind Paul and Silas's song in the midnight hour. And we know what the Bible says happened. They were praying. Paul and Silas were worshiping. And we all know how that God brought an earthquake that shook that prison from its foundation. It broke the stocks from Paul and Silas and it set them free. Somebody say praise the Lord. And as a result of that event, 
See, you had Lydia who heard the gospel at Philippi, who her whole family believed and was baptized. And her house becomes the site for the church, the Philippian church as we know it. The Philippian church is the church where Paul and Silas exercised the demon out of the slave girl. And when they exercised the demon, they, they were put in prison for the work that they did. But it was this church that prayed for them when they were in prison. And the stocks and the bonds were loosed from off them and they were set free. And then as a result of that event, the Philippian jailer is in awe. And he comes to Paul and Silas and he asks, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So as the result of the establishment at the church of Philippi and the work that is being done in and through that church, the jailer at that city jail gets saved and then the Bible said everybody else in his house. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm trying to tell you this morning that powerful things happen when the church comes together in unity. We cannot afford to take the power of unity for granted. We are many members, but we are one body. We share one faith, one Lord, and one baptism. We are one for all and all for one. Can I tell you that if Brad is having a hard time, it's my duty as a brother in Christ to pray for Brad and encourage him and lift him up. It's my duty to undergird him, to lift him up to the Lord and say, Brad, you can do better. Brad, you can make it. Brad, God's going to move in this situation. It's not my duty to say, Brad, you're doing all that all wrong. You're just a miserable failure. You just can't do anything right. What's wrong with you? We are all for one and one for all. It's our duty to lift each other up. It's our duty to encourage one another. Why? Because powerful things happen when God's people come together in unity. And so the greatest challenge that we face is the greatest challenge that the church at Philippi faced, and that is the danger of disunity. That's why Paul said, wait a minute, just one thing. Live your lives worthy of the gospel, standing firm in one spirit and in one accord contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by those who would come against you. This is a sign of their own destruction, but it's also a sign of your salvation. Paul said, and it's from God. Powerful things happen when God's people come together in unity. Consider what the Word says. I'm going to go through these very quickly about unity. Psalms 133 and 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. 1 Corinthians 1 and 10. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. That's the fivefold ministry. Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach what? Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Colossians 3 13 and 14. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. 
If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on what? Love, which is the perfect bond of unity. 1 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. There it is again. Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. You give a blessing, you receive a blessing. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Paul said, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, here we go again, bearing with one another in what? Love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 12. Also, the power of God was at work in Judah to do what? To unite them. To carry out the command of the king and his officials by the word of the Lord. Galatians 3, 27 and 28. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, the one thing that Paul wanted the church at Philippi to remember is the one thing that we've been saying around here ever since this church began, and that is we are better together. Say that with me. We are better together. Don't you ever forget that. We need each other. I need you. You need me. We need each other. Powerful things happen when God's children come together in unity. The Bible said that two are better than one because one can put a thousand demons to flight, but when two join together, they can put 10,000 demons to flight. Powerful things happen when the church comes together in unity. Do you know the one thing that the devil cannot do anything with is love? The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Sure, they've done wrong. So do you. So do I. Love covers a multitude of sins. Have you ever tried to fight with somebody who wouldn't fight back with you? Angie has. Y'all just got that, didn't you? But when somebody won't fight, and I'm just teasing her, that's probably more opposite than it is. But when somebody won't fight back with you, there's not much fight to be put up, is there? When you love, the enemy cannot do anything with love. So as the Lord began to speak to me this week, the words, one thing, one thing continually rang in my ears. And so as I sat on the beach and I began to pull out my phone and search scriptures, I found a few more occurrences of one thing in the word that I want to share with you this morning. And if you're a note taker or you're taking notes this morning, maybe you don't normally, but if I had a do-over, I probably would have gave everybody an index card or, or some kind of little printout to fill out this morning, and I never do that. But if you're taking notes or in your phone, write these down. These are some things that I think, some one things that I want to share with you this morning. First of all, number one, one thing you lack. This was said by Jesus to the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 21. 
said as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Stop right there. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Can I tell you that many times our minds are consumed with everything else except the fact that we're looking at people in every which direction we turn that their minds are thinking, what do I have to do to find the peace that they've got? What do I have to do in order for Jesus to straighten out my life? What do I have to do in order to be set free from this addiction? And so he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I love this, how Jesus answered him. He says, why do you call me good? Can I just stop right there and say if Jesus himself said that, we all could benefit from how we think about ourselves. He said, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. He said, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. Looking at him, I love how this says this. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said. Can I tell you that our job as the church is not to judge people. It's not to condemn people. It's not to criticize people. I don't care if they are living a lifestyle that you don't approve of. I don't care if they dress in a way that you don't approve of. I don't care if they go places and do things that you don't approve of. Our job is not to criticize them. Our job is not to judge them. Our job is to do exactly what Jesus did, and that's look at them, love them, love them. Said Jesus loved him and said to them, to him, you lack what? One thing. Go, sell all you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. You see, this young man had kept all of the commandments. He knew how to look the part, and he knew how to play the part. But Jesus said, there's one thing that you lack. I ask you today, what is that one thing that's keeping you from being fully and completely devoted to Jesus. What is that one thing that is hindering you from a deeper walk with Him? I would submit to you this morning that almost every single one of us in this room today can identify at least one thing that we lack. Whatever that is for you, I ask you to take note of it this morning. Write it down. Number one, one thing I lack. Number two, one thing you need. This was said by Jesus to Martha in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. While they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sisters left me to serve alone? So, Tell her to give me a hand. You ever prayed for God to make somebody do something? The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Watch this. But what? One thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. You see, Martha was all up in arms, feeling like she was the only one doing everything. She was encumbered by her own service. Do you know that sometimes we can become encumbered 
by our own service. And if we're not really careful, even good people, church people, if we're not really careful, we can get busy trying to build the kingdom without the precepts of the king. You see, Mary was putting everything else aside and she was taking the time to listen to what the Lord has to say about it. I could preach an entire message right there. Do you know that it would benefit us when we're going through something, through a struggle, through a situation, through something that happened, and we're trying to muddle our way through it, it would benefit us not to go running here and there to see what somebody else has to say about it, but to dig down in the Word and in our prayer closet and say, God, what do you have to say about it? Mary was putting everything else aside, and she was taking the time to listen to what the Lord had to say about it. Mary was relaxing and she was taking it all in. But Martha was so on edge and aggravated because Mary wasn't on edge. Jesus said, Martha, you're upset about a whole lot of things. But there's one thing that you need. And that is to get your priorities in order. Make the right choice. I ask you today, how could you prioritize better? that would stop robbing you of the time that you need with God. I would again submit to you today that the one thing that we all in this room need is more time with Him. I need more time with Him. And for each of us, there is something in our lives that is robbing that from us. What is that that is robbing you of more time with God? Number three, one thing I know. This was said by a blind man who was healed in response to questions about who healed him. John chapter 9, verses 19 through 25. They asked them, Is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered. But we don't know how he now sees. And we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews. Since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, him being Jesus, he would be banned from the synagogue. And this is why his parents said he's of age. Ask him. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered this, Whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. But what? One thing I do know. I was blind and now I can see. You see, this addresses the need above all other answers that we might have to have met and encountered Jesus for ourselves. Can I tell you this morning, I cannot encounter Jesus for you. You cannot encounter Jesus for somebody else. He said, I don't know the answers to the other questions, but there's one thing I do know. I do know that I was blind, but now I can see. One thing I submit to you this morning that I know, I know that I was lost, but Jesus found me. I know that I was a guilty sinner, but Jesus forgave me of my sin. I know that I was sick, but Jesus healed me. I know that I needed a miracle in my 
my life when I was 31 years old and I had a blood clot from my groin to the middle of my calf and my left leg and they airlifted me to UK hospital. I spent 17 days and underwent three surgeries. I know I needed a miracle in my life but one thing I know, I know that Jesus performed a miracle. I didn't lose my leg like they said I would. I stand before you because I serve a God that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you could ask or think. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I'm determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. One thing I know, it was God that did it. All of us can identify with at least one or more situations in our lives that we know that the outcome of that situation was nothing short of the hand of God. We can take you to the time or we can take you to the place where it looked hopeless. But God. When Cheryl Tinsley was swimming out in Lake Huron, right, in Michigan, all of her other friends that were with her perished in the storm. They all perished. And when she was swimming out there in the dark by herself, hopeless, she can take you to the time and probably even take you to the place where she walked up on that bank out of that water, what, 16 hours later when she should have died of hypothermia. But God, we can take you to the time and the place when God stepped in and God intervened. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of questions I can't answer. There's a lot in the world that I don't understand. But one thing I know, I serve a God that's able to meet your need. He's met mine. If he did it for me, if he did it for Cheryl, he can do it for you. Somebody shout amen. But God came on the scene and turned it around. For some of you, whatever that miraculous event was in your life, it just came to your remembrance and you know that you know that you know that it was God. Number three, one thing I know. It was God who did it. Say it was God. Number four, one thing I ask. This was said by King David. Right in the midst of such suffering that was going on in his life. Psalms 27 and verse 4. David said, one thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You see, David knew and he understood that the key thing that was needed to navigate through the rough seas of this life and that was to stay in the house of the Lord. As the old timers would say, stay in the boat. How many's heard that before? Stay in the boat. Because when you're facing the troubled seas of life, the old ship of Zion is the only thing that will navigate you to safety. If you go overboard, you're going to perish. If you try any other vessel that he's not the captain of, destruction is going to lie ahead in your future. Can I tell you this morning that Noah's Ark is a picture of the safety that is guaranteed for those who are on board with the church. Now, I'm not talking about Freedom Point Church. I'm talking about the church of the living God. Freedom Point is not the only church going to heaven. We'd be fools to think that. I'm talking about the church. Can I tell you this morning, Noah's Ark is a picture of the safety that's guaranteed for those who are on board with the church. I want you to think about it. 
The ark wasn't perfect. Neither is any church. Oh, pastor, Freedom Point Church isn't perfect? I thought this place was perfect. (gasps) No, we're not perfect. You know why? Because you're here. And I'm here. As long as there's people here, and I pray to God there's always people here. As long as there's people here, we'll never be perfect. Neither will any church. The ark wasn't perfect. No church is perfect. Now I want you to think about this. If you can really get this in your mind. We preach this, and I'm I'm almost done. I'm not going to be much longer at all. We preach this sermon, and we talk about knowing the ark. But I think sometimes we just really kind of fail to really get a glimpse and a good picture of the entire situation. There was two of every kind of animal that you can imagine on board that ark with nobody but Noah and his family for 40 days and 40 nights. What if I took you out to a carnival cruise ship, put you and your family on there, and two of every kind of creepy, crawling, smelling, disgusting thing you could imagine on this earth, on that ship with you, and told you to make it 40 days and 40 nights? I'm sure that the smell was far from desirable at times. I'm sure the space was cramped and uncomfortable for much of the voyage. Everywhere you looked and turned, there was animals. I'm sure the animals became agitated from their confinement. And I'm sure that, for lack of a better term, there was a lot of junk or a lot of waste that had to be waded through. How disgusting is that? On board that ship. I'm sure that Noah and his family weren't just so sweet to each other all the time. For those of you that portray that you're just so sweet all the time, we've got your number. We know. I'm sure Noah and his family weren't just so sweet to each other from time to time. They might have even had words. They might have had disagreements. They might have become frustrated with each other to the point of wanting to walk away or possibly even get off the boat. But there was just one problem. Say one problem. See, that ark might have smelled bad. There might have been a lot of junk on there. It might have been uncomfortable. And it might have been frustrating. But it was the only thing that was floating. I could preach a whole message right there. I'm about to have some church up in here this morning. I came to tell somebody today, and I already told you, I'm not talking about Freedom Point Church. I'm talking about the church. I came to tell somebody today, you need to stay in the boat. I said, you need to stay in the boat. It may not be perfect. It might get uncomfortable. You might get frustrated. But the good old gospel ship has already stood the test of time. And it's the only thing that's guaranteed to get you to safety. Don't go overboard. Don't jump off. Don't quit now. You've almost made your voyage. Stay in the boat. David said, one thing have I asked from the Lord. And that will I seek. After that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Number four, one thing I ask, let me stay in your house. And number five, as they come to the music this morning, or this afternoon now, one thing I must do. This was said by Paul in relation to his past and his future. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21, he said, Not that I have already obtained this, 
or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But what? One thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love what he says here. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. Paul said, one thing I do. i got to forget what's behind and reach forward to what lies ahead. Can I tell you that before we ever step into our future, we must first let go of our past. We spend far too much of our time focusing on what has been or what happened. Regardless of whether it's good or bad, it's over. I hear far too often and sometimes from pulpits even, God used to do this. God used to do that. I remember when God did this. I remember when God did that. I'm glad for the testimonials and the memorials But this book tells me that the God that I'm serving today is the same as He was yesterday. He'll be the same tomorrow and forevermore. He's still able. If anything's changed, it's us. We've got to forget what's in the past. Those good things, but also sometimes we've got to forget the bad things. Whether it's good or bad, it's over. It's done. You cannot change it, and it cannot be repeated. I would say that all of us have something we need to let go of in the past so that we can move forward into the future that God has for us. And one thing we must realize is that once we let go of the past, we'll still have to press our way into the things that God has for us up ahead. Paul said, I press. He didn't say, I forget what's behind and I look forward to what's ahead and I just take a light, easy stroll and walk into what God has for me. He said, no, I press. Pressing isn't easy. Pressing requires grit and determination. It requires energy and focus. It requires effort and exertion. During football practice, I went back to my football days. You're not going to move the sleds. For those of you that know what the sleds are, you're not going to move the sleds very far just by hitting them. But once you hit them, you've got to press with all you've got in order to move those sleds. I think that sometimes God has something great ahead of us just a few feet in the future, but we're stuck looking at the past or maybe even in the present or maybe sometimes from time to time we stare at what's out in the future, but our problem is we fail to press. I came to tell somebody this morning, it's time to get out of the rut that you're stuck in. 
one thing you've got to do. One thing we all need to do. You've got to forget about what's behind you. You've got to look forward to what God has planned ahead of you. And you've got to press on with all you've got toward the mark. Why? Because there's something better up ahead. A few weeks ago, we celebrated six years of the ministry of this church. 98 people saved, 80-some people rededicated, 71 people baptized, 48 people filled with the Holy Spirit. That's awesome. We celebrated that, yes. It's awesome. But you know what? I fully believe with all of my heart there's greater things up ahead. There's bigger things up ahead. As a matter of fact, guess what? You can now take that number to 99 saved because one got saved this morning. And then whatever that rededication number was, you can bump it up another one because somebody else got rededicated this morning. But guess what? There's greater things up ahead. For those of you that are battling battles this morning, there's victory up ahead. There's deliverance up ahead. Some of your loved ones that need salvation or need freed from addiction, that's up ahead. you got to press your way into it. Don't. I came to encourage somebody today, don't give up. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Don't get weary in your well-doing. Don't get frustrated and jump overboard off the ship. you got to get in and you got to press with everything you've got because God has a Jeremiah 29, 11 plan right ahead of you. It's just a few feet in your future, but you've got to press in. What is that plan he said I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you plans never to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future that's what God has just ahead